In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, come down upon us as we begin this, this study of the, the teachings of the Catholic Church, as we begin to hear your word spoken through the church. We ask you to open our hearts and our minds to, to grow in our love of our Lord and to desire to follow him all the more. We ask this through Christ our Lord. The Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Well, thank you all for coming. This is awesome. This is good turnout. I hear you know we had three or four. It'd be great. This is this is even better. Um, so, what I'm going to do tonight is as much an introduction as it is to actually get into the book itself. Uh, introduction of what we're going to do with this class, and the introduction to the the book. And what I want to say right off the bat is, I want your questions. Is as you're reading the book. You, if a question comes up, write it down, whether in the book or in a piece of paper or whatever. If you have questions as I'm going through my presentation, my, my talk, write it down. And then after my talk, after I finish with what I'm going to say, uh, I'll ask for questions and we'll let the, you know, we'll answer the questions that need to be answered. Uh, I want to make sure that everybody understands the reading, you know, understands this book because there are going to be parts of it that very straightforward, very clear, very easy to understand. And then there's parts like the section of how do we know God, which can get very deep philosophically or very deep uh, theologically. And there's more to it than what the book says, because this is meant to be really a summary of the faith. It's not meant to be the be all and end all of the faith. And what, we're, what I'm going to present on is not even going to be everything that's in here. It's just kind of my summary of what it's saying. So I, I want to make sure that if you have any questions, any comments, concerns, doubts, insights, if, you, if there's something that, that strikes you, um, let me know. You know I, I want to make sure that, that at least the second part of the class is a discussion. You know, I'll, I'll lecture at you, and then we can have the discussion is kind of how we'll do it. Um, now, I've got my gadget set up over here. I've got my microphone and everything because I am recording this to put online. Um, this is a project I've wanted to do for some time is to do a podcast of studying the Catechism of the Catholic Church, a series of really radio programs, radio shows. That's what a podcast really is, if you're familiar with them, uh, where someone can sit and listen to. Someone anywhere in the world can go and download this, what I'm recording now, and be able to listen to it at their own time in their car. I, I listen to podcasts in my car all the time. A lot of people do. And so this project I wanted to do, so I had set up a website, Back to Catholic Basics. That's where the title comes from that I did on our outline. By the way, we have more schedules here if anybody needs them. Um, but that's where the title came from. This is what I came up with, that original podcast. And I had set up a website, btcb, back to Catholic Basics, btcb.us. Now, you can go to backtocatholicbasics.com, but it's easier to remember six letters and a dot. So that's what this is for. So if you go there, I hope to be able to get the audio recordings of this put up in the evening. So tonight, I'll get the audio done. The video is going to take a little more work because I'm going to try to do some editing with it before I post it. Uh, but if you go here, this is where they will be posted. And that's the other part of it is by posting it online, parishioners... If you can't make it to a class, just go here a couple of days later, and you can catch up. So uh, trying to make it as easy as possible for people to, um, to learn what the catechism says. 
because it's, it's, it's something I think it's important for us to get that grounding of our faith again, to really get back to the Catholic basics. Because a lot of us, um, you know, yeah, I studied at seminary for eight years. How many other people have taken time in their lives to actually spend dedicated study of the faith since before they were, or since they were like in high school at, at the latest? Not many of us. You know, I never did until I went into seminary. Maybe a little before I started to study a little bit. But so uh, I want to make it as easy as possible for us to study. And that's why we're doing this. Um, after we go through the catechism, which will probably take about a year, then we can start doing some Bible studies. We can start doing some spirituality studies. We can start doing some other things, um, other areas of church teaching. Because I know a lot of people want to study the Bible, and I think that's a very important thing to do, as the catechism will explain to us that it is a very important thing to do. But I want to make sure that we get the grounding of the faith solid and then go into the Bible. So that's why we're, we're doing this. Um, so any questions on that so far? You know, Okay. Oh, yeah. One question. I guess is it case sensitive? Nope. Plug it in? Okay. Nope. Lowercase, uppercase, mixed case, up, down, up, down, you know, however you want to do it. So, you know, just type that in your, your browser and it'll find it. So, okay. Is that all it has on it, is your podcast? This will be just this recording. And then there's my frcory.org site that is where I put my homilies and other things. So, so, got both of them. Do you want any of this published in the bulletin? Please. Send me what you want. Yep, I will do that. So, and one thing is when you, ask, if, when you ask questions, especially at the end, I'll repeat them for two reasons. First of all, is to make sure I understand your question, you know, that I'm hearing it right. And secondly, so that it'll be on the recording. Because this is a fairly sensitive microphone, and it probably will pick up everybody here, but I want to make sure that it does get, get picked up, so... All right, well, we'll get into the actual book, the big heavy paperweight. Now, uh, um, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is really uh, came out of the spirit of Vatican II, the real spirit of Vatican II, what the Second Vatican Council desired. That phrase, spirit of Vatican II, was used, unfortunately, for some not-so-good things over the years, where changes were made to the Mass, changes were made to the practice of the faith, that were actually contrary to what the council asked for. And the Catechism, or the, the, the Second Vatican Council encouraged us to really renew our catechetical practices, our catechetical understanding. And so probably a good thing to you to look at the word catechesis, because it's a word we throw around. We talk about how, you know, that religious education is catechesis, catechetical studies. Catech you know, catechumens are those who were who are studying to become to be baptized. David and Kenny were both catechumens. Now they are considered elect. They're on that next stage of doing it. This term catechesis, as the, the, the catechism, the book itself tells us, is an education in the faith which includes especially the teaching of Christian doctrine imparted with a view to initiating the hearers into the fullness of Christian life. This comes from John Paul II, who as much as I love him, and as brilliant as he was, he could not write a short sentence to save his life. <laughs> you read his documents, and it'll be like a page is one paragraph, and that might be five sentences. Um, but it, it's catechesis is ultimately being educated in the faith, the teachings of the faith, what it means to be Catholic, what the church teaches, what has been passed down from generation to generation to generation through the church, and so on. 
And it is with a view of bringing us closer to Christ and bringing us into living as Christians. That is ultimately what the Catechism of the Catholic Church is about, is helping us to live as better Christians closer to our Lord. That is the most important thing we do with catechism. We don't study the catechism for jeopardy knowledge, what I always call jeopardy knowledge. You know, that, that, that thing where you might have the, you know, the, the final jeopardy question of what does the Catholic Church teach about, or the Catholic Church teaches X, Y, and Z about. No, it's about living our faith more fully and living our faith closer to Christ. And I like this in uh, paragraph six. It points out that there are six parts to catechesis, six areas of catechesis, if you will. It says, first of all, the initial proclamation of the gospel or missionary preaching to arouse faith. In other words, catechesis is, first of all, evangelization. It's, first of all, going out to those who have not heard the gospel and bringing the gospel to them. It's teaching them about what the gospel is. And I think that's an important point, that catechesis starts from the very beginning of somebody's exploration of the faith. It's learning about the gospel. Secondly, examination of the reasons for belief. One thing you're going to see is a lot of the catechism is not just what the church teaches, but why. What are the reasons for what the church teaches? You know, because the church teaches a lot of things, and you know, people will take it without really thinking about it. You know, they'll say, well, the church teaches it, therefore I, I, I'm going to follow it. But we need to go deeper. We need to understand why. Catechesis is also the experience of Christian living. What does it mean to live as a Christian? That catechesis helps us learn and understand that. Celebration of the sacraments. The sacraments can be catechetical. They can teach us about our faith. That's not the primary reason for the sacraments, but they can teach us, and we can go deeper into those sacraments. Integration into the ecclesial community, into the church. This is, catechesis is as much about the gathering of us together and to understand what this gathering means, where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there among us. This is catechesis with us just being here together, seeking to learn about the faith. And then apostolic and missionary witness. When we go out to live as Christians, this apostolic witness, this missionary witness, when we go out to live our lives loving our neighbor, that is much catechesis as sitting here in a class. So it really, catechesis is a whole life thing. It's something we're supposed to be doing our entire lives. And that's one thing we've lost, I think, in recent years, is this idea that it doesn't just stop at confirmation. Confirmation is not religious education graduation. That's kind of, one good thing about our diocese doing what we call the restored order, and that we'll get into that when we get to that point in the catechism, what that means where we do confirmation and first communion together, but confirmation is first, um, we've kind of lost that mindset a lot where kids, more or less, kids don't just come till third grade and then leave. You know, we do have a pretty good sized adult or high school group that comes every week. And I think that's, you know, that, that says a lot that, you know, at least we get them up to that point. But now that we are adults, our responsibility is to go further. You know, it's the same, same thing as any, um, anything else we've learned, you know, stuff we learned in high school that we've had to go further on as adults, we've had to learn more about as adults. Well, our faith should be that way too. We shouldn't be living on just a, at best, high school grade 
uh, class or high school grade understanding of the faith. And so it is something that is a lifelong thing. Now to talk very briefly about the book, about the catechism, there are multiple editions and multiple versions, and it gets kind of confusing. So the original edition of the catechism came out in 1992, and that's what I have here. This was, this was my first edition version, with an, with an exception, but it came out in 1992 originally in French, and then a couple of years later had been translated to English. They thought, you know, the people who put the catechism together thought, all the experts thought, oh, people aren't going to want this book. It's going to be for the people who are developing like the religious education books that we use and putting together classes like this and so on. Before it even released, they sold a quarter of a million copies. 250,000 copies of the English edition were pre-ordered before it was even released. Everybody kind of went, oh, <laughs> they want this. Because the last real catechism that had come out was the Baltimore Catechism. There were other catechisms that had been developed, but nothing official. And before that was the Council of Trent back in the 16th century. So the church was hungry for a new updated guide to the teachings of the church. So the French version came out, and then a couple of years later, the typical edition. In the church, if you hear something called a typical edition, that's the official version. That's the final version. That's the version usually in Latin. In this case, it was. And there were some differences between the French version and the Latin version. And actually, this, this copy of the first edition has, it says, includes modifications from the Etico Typica, the typical edition. That means in the back here, the, the, all, the book, all this part here is the first edition. But in the back here, there's a little, a little appendix that shows what paragraphs have changed between the first edition and the Latin. So that's where this book comes in. This is the second edition. And this has been the official edition with some modifications since uh, 1997, when English came out. You can see mine, mine actually, it sat in the, in the trunk of a car. I like to say, oh yeah, this is where. No, it sat in the trunk of a car for a year, and you know, winter kind of rippled it. But um, yeah, this is the one I used at seminary and everything. Uh, but uh, this came out, like I said, in 1997, and has been the official edition. Now, I've got the green and yellow. A lot of you have the blue and white. That's the more updated version of the second edition, is the blue and white. Because there have been some small changes since this version came out. And we'll talk about those when they come. Because some of them have changed from the first edition to the second edition, from the second edition to the updated second edition. And so we'll talk about them. Now, those of you who have the brown books, those are, in general, the first edition. It doesn't make them bad. It doesn't make them wrong. It just be aware there'll be points when I'll say, by the way, that paragraph changed in the second edition. So the updated version says this instead of that. That's actually why I found this book, because it has those changes. Same thing will come when we get to the ones that change from this version to that version. Just so we're aware, uh, the catechism, this is not a set-in-stone book. This is not like the Bible, which doesn't change. 
this will change over the years uh, as church teaching evolves. Because there are certain areas of church teaching um, where our understanding of the faith or the needs of the world today change how we look at things. Small changes, nothing dramatic, um, but one of those big examples, again, we'll get to it when the time comes, is the death penalty. Our understanding of the, the need of the death penalty in modern days is very much different than it was 100 years ago, 200 years ago. And so that has that's one of those changes that is in the blue and white book that's not in here, because that has changed since this was produced. So how the book is set up is actually rather clever. There are four sections to it. The profession of the faith, or the creed, the sacraments of the faith, the life of faith, and then prayer in the life of faith. So we start with the creed, the, you know, the, the Nicene Creed, like we say at Mass. Or actually, I think it's more the Apostles' Creed, but you know, we start with the creed, and then we go into the sacraments, we talk about what it means to live as a Christian, and then finally, prayer. So all these four parts work together. And so you'll notice that there are lots and lots and lots of, not just footnotes, but there's also see this paragraph, see that paragraph, look here, go here, bounce back and forth. And so it can help you if you're kind of not sure about a section, but you see that little part in the paragraph or the parentheses that says, you know, see this paragraph, you can go look at that paragraph and maybe it'll help kind of clear up what you're seeing. So they all kind of work together. So that's, that's introduction. That's just laying the groundwork. Again, I just, actually a good time to pause. Kind of any questions about what I've said so far about the book, the catechism itself? There's a lot of difference between your preface and their preface. Yeah, I tried to take me, my preface a little bit simpler than theirs. <laughs> <laughs> they've, got words in there, they've got words in there that are 23 letters long. And that's part of why I'm doing this is because I want to make it, make this as simple as possible. And, and there were a couple of words I had to do the, uh, I, I've got an electronic copy that I, I uh, on a Bible study program that I use. And I can highlight a word and click on it and it'll, bring up the dictionary. And I had to do that a couple of times too, so don't feel bad. I can't remember what the one word was, but there's one word, it's like, I heard that word, I don't know what it means. Click, oh, okay. <laughs> so, and don't, don't be, I mean, if you gotta have a dictionary next to you, all the better, you know? And then again, that, that's, that's where these questions come up. Like you, you, if you run into something you don't understand, write it down and we'll talk about it, so. Okay, well now we're going on to I believe. We are going to start, as I said, the profession of faith, the creed. Um, what, you know, what does it mean to believe? And we start with this. And the catechism, you know, chapter, or paragraph 26, and by the way, all these numbered things are called, they call them paragraphs. And that's just, some of them are more than one paragraph, some of them are one sentence. They use, they're kind of loose on their terms as far as the, you know, what we call, what we would consider a paragraph, they could consider very different. Um, it's a section. It's, it's a place where you can, a verse, like the Bible, you know, so they call it a paragraph. But paragraph 26 says, faith is man's response to God who reveals himself and gives himself to man. At the same time, bringing man a super abundant light as he searches for the ultimate meaning of his life. So... We ask, you know, what does it mean to have faith? And the Catechism tells us it's responding to God. It's searching for God. It's looking for God. 
You know, he reaches out to us and we are searching for him. We are looking for him. And so that's what we begin with, you know. He gives us to himself to us. He, he gives us his grace. He gives us himself, the second person of the Trinity, in the Blessed Sacrament. And he brings us the light that we need to find the ultimate meaning of our life. What does it mean? You know, people talk about one of the things that humans do that no other people do is what is the meaning of life? No other animals ask what is the meaning of life. No dog, as much as we might think our dogs are smart, sit there and look at the stars go, why am I here? No, they sit there and go, is that something to chase? Do I smell food? You know, we look at the stars and we wonder what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of our purpose and our purpose here on earth? And so that's what we're beginning with is that search for God. And this is, we start out kind of interestingly in a very philosophical note. This is, this is not theology. This is not spirituality. This is philosophy. And the church through the years has realized how we express our belief, how we express our faith, our search for God. We use philosophy, we use theology, we use spirituality. We use all these tools to help us better understand God. And it's, this is more about how we can believe in God. We are starting about how can we believe in God? Not just what do we know about him, but how can we even believe in him in the first place? Because how do we know that God exists? Taking, you know, even with the issue of revelation, just setting that aside, how did the ancient peoples understand that there was something beyond them? Something beyond this life? You know, of course, you can think of the ancient, you know, the, the early religions that were very materialistic. And I mean material as in the god of the crops, the god of the sun, the god of the rain, the god of the river, and so on. And then it developed more into the, the um, Roman and Greek pantheon, Zeus and all them. And then it was revealed that there was one true god. But how did we know that there was something beyond us? And part of that is because we have a desire for God. We have a pull for God. We want God. We might not be able to express that. We might not say that what we desire in our heart is God, but we have a desire for God. And the reason why we have that desire for God is that we were created by him and we were created for him. He didn't create, create us as toys. He created us to share in his love. He, he wants to give us his love. And because of that, he draws us to him. He pulls us to him. And that is the desire that we have in our hearts. Some people might call it the, you know, the God-shaped hole in our hearts is kind of a common way of saying that. But that, that really is a desire for God. He's missing in our lives if we are not searching for him. And this is, um, you might hear the, the phrase, spiritual but not religious. And this is where people miss it if they think that. Because you cannot be spiritual without being religious. The two go hand in hand. It's a false understanding of both spirituality and religion. The Catechism tells us that we are religious beings. We are beings who are drawn to religion. Because religion leads us to God. Proper religion, true religion, right religion. 
and religious practices, the things that we do as part of our religion, are things that we do to find God. So when we celebrate Mass, we are doing it to find God. When we sit in the, you know, a quiet place at our house and pray, we are doing it to find God. When we do meditation, when we listen to religious music, we do these things to find God. So all these things that we do, in spirituality itself, the practice of spirituality encompasses a lot of these things and is a religious practice is its own. So you cannot be spiritual but not religious. It's impossible. The practice of spirituality is itself a religious practice. And of course, what people say, mean by spiritual, not religious, they're talking about the surface level view of religion. They're talking about organized religion. They're saying, well, I, I believe in God and I believe that in, in Jesus, but I'm not going to go to church, is what they're saying. I'm not going to be involved in a church community. I'm not going to be involved in, the, in formal worship at Mass and so on. That's what they're saying. And it really is kind of a rejection of God in many ways to say that I am not going to be involved in religious practice because God wants us to be in religious practice because it is the search for him. Religious practice is the search for God. But of course, as the Catechism tells us, we can reject God. Yes, we are searching for him, but we can reject him too. We can find reasons why not. And I love this list the Catechism gives. You know, revolt against evil in the world. You know, the old question of if God is, a good, if we have an all perfect, all good God, why is there evil in the world? And for people, that, it, that can be very much a concern. And by the way, this list is uh, paragraph 29 if you want to follow along. But, you know, evil can be something that keeps people from God. We see that, sadly, with issues of the abuse crisis in the church. The evil of the abuse crisis has kept people from the church, from find, finding God through his church. Religious ignorance or indifference. You know, uh, we've got a lot of people in our world today, they're, not, they're both ignorant of the faith, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow God, but they also don't care. They're indifferent. They're just, meh, as long as I've got you know, all the needs I have and some of the wants I want, what do I need God for? You know, there's, there's that indifference, that ignorance. Uh, cares and riches of this world. You know, I got all my stuff. I'm good. You know, that's what I, I say several times in, and said several times in homilies. We are rich in this country by the standards of much of the world today and definitely by the standards of the world of the past. And because of that, because we have the comforts that we have, you know, how many people, they, you know, they go to work, they come home, they turn on the boob tube, and they zone out for the night. Or on the internet, or on their phones, or, or you know, they're zoned out because we got the riches of the world. The scandal of bad example on the part of believers. Again, this is the abuse scandal. People really did get turned away from God because of the actions of these priests and bishops. And I'm not talking about the, the victims of these priests and bishops, but by the, the exposure of these people did this. And the church covered it up. That turned a lot of people off from God. And that's, that's why scandal is such a serious concern. Current thought, currents of thought hostile to religion. Gee, we don't have that going on in our country today, you know, where 
the idea of a religious practice is something that you should do at most in the privacy of your house and maybe at church, unless we have a reason to shut that down too. And then finally, that attitude of sinful man, which makes him hide from God out of fear and flee his call. Think of, this is coming back to Adam and Eve. After the original fall, the, the original sin where they, they rejected God and they turned away from what he told them. You eat of every tree except that one. And of course, that's the one they went to. They hid from him because they were ashamed. Well, we do as well. You know, we can, we can recognize our unworthiness. We can recognize our sinfulness. We can say, well, I, I can't go before God. I am not worthy of him. And of course, that's not, not the case. God wants us to come to him because he still calls us to him. He still calls us to him, and it takes a response on our part. And it's a response of the intellect, like we're doing here, learning, learning about the faith. It takes a response of the will, a decision to go forward, a decision to go and search out for God. And then the Catechism says an upright heart, a moral heart, you know, a heart that desires to follow God. And then finally, evangelical witness, going out, people going out, us going out and teaching the faith. You know, we talk about evangel being, being an evangelizer off in the far-flung lands. No, we need to be evangelizers here as well. So we are searching for God. How do we know he's there? And that's, that's an important question. And there's a lot to this. This is, this is one of these parts. I'm, I'm going to try to go through fairly quickly because I want to see if you have any questions about what you've read in this section because this is deep philosophy. This is stuff you know, I studied in my philosophy degree. I actually get to use my philosophy degree. Yay! Um, but it tells us that we can come to know God through proofs. And what it means by these proofs is not like mathematical proofs. You remember doing proofs in math where you had to write out your, your work of what you did and I did this step and then this step and this step. It's not that. It's evidence that can help us rationally understand that God exists. And so, as the Catechism calls it, converging and convincing arguments. Arguments that they come together to point to God and they convince us that God exists. You know, but they are not meant to be, if you use this proof, everybody will understand that God exists. That's not what it's about. It's about helping us see him, see that he is there. And so we are told that there are two primary ways, two primary, primary starting points that we can go for these proofs that point to God. And the first one is the physical world. We can look at the world around us. We can examine the world around us and see the perfection of the world. We can see all the laws of the universe and all the you know, gravity and inertia and all these different rules and all these different things and the fact that you know, Earth is in what they call a Goldilocks zone, that perfect distance from the perfect sun so that life could show up here. If Earth was, I can't remember what it is, but it, it's only if, like a few hundred miles or a few thousand miles either way, closer or further away from the sun, we could not be here. The earth could not sustain life as we understand it. You know, we're in that perfect zone. All these, we look at the beauty of the world. We look at just, you know, you go and look at the mountains and just, we see God. We see him in his handiwork. 
you know, see the fingerprints of God, you might say. And this is how St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, who is one of the greatest philosophers and theologians the church has had, he's considered a, a doctor, a great teacher of the church, came up with his five proofs. And he uses this for these proofs, at least for some of them. Um, one of them that he uses is to, to, as a proof, as a, you know, how to point to God, is the unmoved mover. What this means is, if something moves, it's because something else moved it. You know, if I put a ball on this table, assuming this table is completely flat, it's just going to sit there until I push it. I move it, and then it's going to move. You know, we talk about the law of inertia. You remember that? You know, an object at rest tends to stay at rest. An object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted on by an outside force. That ball, by inertia, is going to sit there until you push it. That's the mover. Well, if everything moves because it was moved by someone else, is there a being who did the first push that was not himself moved? Because you know, I pushed that ball. Well, what pushed that ball was my muscles pushing on my hand, and so on and so on and so on and so on, down the chain. Was there, was there an unmoved mover? Was there something, somebody, that made that first push? Connected to this is the uncaused cause. Same idea, cause and effect. You know, the ball moved was the effect caused by me pushing it. I push the ball, the effect is it moves. Same thing, that chain of cause and effect. Can you go all the way back to somebody or something that was not caused by something else that did the first cause? And so, I mean, this is, I'm being very, high level on these to show two proofs. These are two proofs that can say, okay, if you look at that, that yes, there is somebody who made the first movement. There is somebody who made the first effect. And that's God. So we look at the physical world and we see that. But the other side we can look at, the second starting point we can look at is ourselves, the human person. We can look at ourselves as a human person, and I don't mean the physical aspect of the human person, but the spiritual, our souls, what, who we are. You know, we look at ourselves and who we are, and we question God's existence. Again, we go out in the stars, and we ask, does God exist? No other animals do. We do. You know, does God exist? And so, in, in paragraph 33, the Catechism mentions you know, with our openness to truth and beauty, his sense of moral goodness, his freedom in the voice of his conscience, with his longings for the infinite and for happiness, man questions himself about God's existence. We recognize that we are more than just flesh. We are more than just animals who move about due to electrical impulses in our brain. There is more to us than that. And if there's more to us than that, there's more to the world, more to the universe than that. And again, that's, that's God. We also recognize that we are not the be-all and end-all of our lives. We did not create ourselves. We did not come into existence by ourselves. We were created. The world did not come into existence on its own. It was created, and we participate in that. And that's what the, the Catechism talks about, participating in being. 
Being is existence. Being is to be. You know, Descartes, to be or not to be, well, it doesn't matter what Descartes thought, we be. You know, we are participating in being. We exist and we share in it. We're not the full of it, fullness of it. We are not the completion of existence is not us. There is someone who started, who created everything, and there is someone who all of creation leads to. Everything points to God. He created us, and everything points to him. So we look at this, and we recognize there is more to life than us, and that more to life is God himself. And so these proofs, and there are more. I mean, these, this, this is just going off the book, some summaries of these proofs, because you can really get into the weeds just talking about the different proofs and evidence for God. Um, but it's best to understand that we know that God exists because we can look at the fullness of ourselves and creation and see him. They help us to rationally understand the existence of God, that we can know him from our minds, you know, that we, we might not know everything about him, but we can know that he exists. And that's why we have God's revelation. That's why we have the Bible. That's why we have the teachings of the church to help us know who he truly is, but we can know him. And these proofs help us open us up to that, to knowing him better. And so this is where it talks about the knowledge of God. We know God. The church tells us we know God both through reason and revelation. Again, one of the greatest saints is St. Thomas Aquinas, and he's one of the greatest saints because he reasoned around God. He didn't just look at the teachings of the church and say, okay, this is what the catechism says. That's all I need to know. He thought about it. He meditated on it. He chewed on it and came to know more. Now, this reason that we have can be clouded because of the fact that God is beyond our visible order. We can't see God. I mean, you literally cannot see. We cannot feel. We cannot smell. We cannot taste God the Father. He's here with us, but we can't see him. We're, we're blinded by creation, if you will. Um, and so we need to have that self-surrender and self-denial to understand him. You know, we need to be able, willing to say, I can't know everything on my own. I need to have that self-surrender, that self-denial to learn. On top of that, we have original sin. Our appetites, our desires, what we want is clouded by sin. And that's why we fall into sin. That's why we have those those bad habits that we do. That's why we have those sins that we commit on a regular basis. Because of original sin. What we want is not always in line with, in line with what God wants from us. What he wants for us. And we can even look at the teachings of the church, as so many do, and convince ourselves, oh, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. The catechism's wrong. That's not true at all. And you'll see, you'll see Catholics who want to change church teaching on X, Y, or Z. And they're the ones who's right. And the catechism's wrong. The Pope is wrong. The bishops are wrong. I'm right. You know, they've got that mindset. And so we need to set that aside, come to him through reason, 
influenced by revelation, influenced by what God himself has revealed through the Bible, through our Lord's teachings. Our Lord is, Jesus is the fullness of revelation because it can first of all help us not just understand things or come to know things that we are beyond our understanding. There are many, many things in Revelation that we cannot know by reason alone. We cannot think on our own. So he revealed it to us so we can better understand it, but also so that we can better know what we can figure out. We know that God is there, and through Revelation, he helps us understand him better, and so on, and other, other issues of religious and moral teachings. You know, so all these truths that have been revealed to us help us understand them because many of them we can, re- we can figure out. We can say, okay, yes, it is absolutely immoral to unjustly kill someone, you know, to go up and just shoot someone for no reason. But it is moral for self-defense that if someone attacks you and is going to take your life, you can defend yourself even if it means they, they, their life is taken. We can morally reason that. Revelation helps us understand it better. And so, so that, that it's, the two work together, reason and revelation. Or as John Paul II wrote an encyclical called Fides et Ratio, faith and reason. The two work hand in hand. Now that's one of those documents where, again, he can't write a short document. It's very thick and very, very philosophical. But the, he tells us that the two work hand in hand. So finally, we know God exists, and we can know God exists. How can we speak about him? Because he is so far beyond reason, beyond us, not, not reason, so far beyond us. But because we can know him, we can speak about him. But what we say about him is not perfect. What we understand about God is not complete. Our language about him is imperfect. It's incomplete. Um, we understand him from how we see him, how we understand him. You know, we speak about him from how we understand him. So we see what is good and perfect in us. We look at you know, the love, compassion, self-giving, self-sacrificing, those things that are good in us, and so on and on and on, on. And we see God as the completion of that. All that we have that is good in us comes from him. He is the completion of what we find that is good in us. But he transcends us. He's so far beyond us. Um, I, this, this phrase from the Catechism, uh, paragraph 42, the inexpressible, the incomprehensible, the invisible, the ungraspable. We cannot completely express who God is. We cannot completely comprehend, understand who God is. We cannot completely, we can't see him. He's invisible. He's, he's outside of our senses. We can't grasp him. We can't hold on to him. He's beyond that. But then there's, there's a, a, an irony. I, I don't know if irony is the right word. But God is so simple. And I don't mean simple as in, like we think of a simple task as something that's easy to do. I mean simple as not complex, you know, and again, this is, this is kind of where the language is starting to falter. How do you express it? But he's so simple that we can't express who he is except in lots of words. You know, you ever have that a concept that it, it's so simple to do, but it takes a lot to express how to do it. Well, that's who God is. He's so simple that we have to use lots and lots and lots and lots of words 
and understanding to, to, to grasp him. But also, for every similarity that we have with him, everything that we have that matches with what we understand him, he's even more dissimilar. He's so far beyond us that this little bit of similarity we have has so much more that is dissimilar. You know, that's how incomprehensible God is, is that even the little bit that we say, oh yeah, we understand that. Well, you understand a little bit. There's a lot more. You know, and so that's the difficulty of trying to grasp who God is in speaking about him. Uh, kind of a kind of to close out with this is we often understand who God is and speak about our relationship with him more from what we've gotten wrong than what we've gotten right. It's more about who God is not. You know, God is not a father who created, literally created his son. God is not a shamrock. You know, things like that. You know, talking about the Trinity, talking about God, talking about this, our son, this, the Son. You know, there's, throughout the history of the churches, we have had so many heresies that the only reason why we know that about God is because we're fighting against the wrong aspect of it, the heresy. Then we know of what has been revealed to help us understand him. And so we know God is there, and we know he is so amazingly, incomprehensibly simple that we can't explain it without getting it wrong. And so that helps us to better understand him. So that's, believe it or not, a fairly quick exploration of this first part of you know, us searching for God and how we can talk about him. Now, are there any questions that came up as you were reading or as I was talking that we can kind of discuss to help you understand, hopefully understand it better, and I hope what I said kind of helps understand, too. So any questions? So when you're talking about we have a draw to God um, within us, mm -hmm. and, and I believe that, I feel that, how does that differ, or is it different, from the Holy Spirit? So is, again, I'm going to repeat the questions just so it gets recorded well, but you know, how is that draw to God different from the Holy Spirit? It's not. It's not different from, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And so the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. I'm not going to say the Holy Spirit is that, that draw, but it is, the Holy Spirit does work in our lives as that draw. That's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, no, good, good question, but. Why wasn't the Holy Spirit taught more than, than what he is now? I mean, Why was it the Holy Spirit taught? Um, well, it was, no, I mean. As much as it is. It, 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 I mean, as, as if I remember the catechism, it never come up about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's as much now. It's interesting for those of us in the, the Western Church, and that, by Western Church I mean Roman Catholic Church, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit anywhere near as much as the Eastern churches, the Eastern Catholic, the Eastern Orthodox churches, such as the Russians, the Greeks, the Ukrainians, and so on. They talk about the Holy Spirit a lot more than we do. And I think a lot of it is this almost a fear. I mean, this is my opinion. Almost a fear of getting it wrong. And so you just don't talk about it. 
they don't understand. The Western Church, we understand the Holy Spirit as best we can, but those of us who are in the positions of teaching about the Holy Spirit don't teach on it as we should. And that's, that's one thing I think is good that we are focusing on the working of the Holy Spirit more now than we did. Um, this is one of this revitalization of catechesis is talking about the Holy Spirit more. We're trying to understand the Holy Spirit's work in the church and in our lives more. So, yeah, that's great. Uh, I guess I was reading this uh, in brief, mm -hmm. the 45. It says, when I am completely united to me, to you, there will be no more sorrow trials entirely full of you. My life will be complete. Mm -hmm. So is that when we're in heaven then? Yep. Certainly. Pretty much. I mean, it would be wonderful if we could be completely united to God here on earth, but because of sin, because of, again, being clouded from God, not being able to see him as, as we will in heaven, uh, we can't do that. But yeah, absolutely. It is, um, you know, I should mention, you know, being united, united with, completely united with God in uh, paragraph 45 in the, the catechism. So make sure to mention that for the recording. Uh, but yeah, it will absolutely be um, when we're in heaven, hopefully. I mean, hopefully we'll make it to heaven and so we will be united with him. And we will have that perfection, fullness of joy. Can I say something, Father? Sure. Um, in, in, it relates to what Mary was saying. Kind of like, what's the function of the Holy Spirit? You know? Mm -hmm. it, okay, in my life, ever since I started asking for help, from the Holy Spirit, in before I get up and play music, in before I give speeches, mm -hmm. if I ask for help, He'll bring me through really good. Mm -hmm. I forget. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's with speeches and stuff like that. I mean, I used to work for SEALs and give talks, you know, and they're supposed to last about around 20 minutes. Well, the first time I did, uh, I couldn't even see my notes. I was so nervous. <laughs> I walked around that block and went to the bathroom three or four times. And right, right, at, right during lunchtime, I couldn't eat. Mm -hmm. and I was supposed to give it at one o'clock. I was a mess. And so when I got up in front of the people, I just picked up my notes, which I had I put it had put in the work, but I couldn't see them. I couldn't remember them because I was so nervous. I just wadded them up, tossed them in the bag, picked up the guitar, slung it over my shoulder gave a 20-minute speech, don't even know what I said, got a standing ovation. Hmm. That was the first time where I learned yep. know, that this works. Yeah. You know? and we, so ever since then, I was 33 years old. It's wonderful. Um, but that's how he works. And we will, that's how I view it. He works in our lives. Yeah. And obviously, eventually, we will get a section in here. I don't know how far down it ends up being on the list, but we will hit a point where we will talk one class on the Holy Spirit. You know, and because uh, we need to do that. We need to understand the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And again, this is, this class is not going to be, you know, everything you need to know about. This is the starting point. You know, once we've gone through this, then the challenge is for each and every one of us to go deeper and further. And so, um, but yeah, it's, I want us to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want us to know more about the Holy Spirit. So Absolutely. 
that's certainly a challenge I'm having right now is teaching the Holy Spirit to these little girls who want to make their first communion sure. and confirmation and trying to pull that in. And it's, yep. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's a challenge. And I hope it'll help for there. teaching too. Yeah. <laughs> sure. One of the proofs of God is the order and beauty of nature. Mm -hmm. Some people will say that they don't need to go to church because they go to the top of the mountain and they meet with God directly. Yeah. What is the fallacy of that argument? Well, the fallacy is that it's not a fallacy. It's incomplete. Because, yes, I absolutely agree. You go out in this canyon here and you go up on a hike on one of those, you know, one of those trails and you can find God standing out there. He, you can see his beauty. You can see his majesty out there. But it's an incomplete, again, it, you know, this, these proofs do not show us everything about God. They point us to God. But we need his help, his revelation, to find God, to find his fullness of who he is. And that's why we have the church who says, yes, if you really want to find God, you find it in his church, especially to receive him in the sacrament of the Eucharist, as one example, and as a community. You know, we find God here. This, I, I said at the beginning, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is among us. You know, and I, I've had people do that too. Oh, I, I find God when I'm out fishing. And I always like to say, yeah, missing a fish and using God's name is not finding God out fishing. <laughs> Sorry. No, but sitting on the on the mountain on a rock and looking out over it, and, and you're sitting there and you think, oh my God, look what you, what yeah. you look what you have made. But you still go to church. You still go to church. <laughs> I mean, I, I want. I, I also tell people, I hope you find God in the universe, in in creation. I hope you find God. You know, farmers when they're out tilling the fields, when you're out fishing, when you're out enjoying nature, when you're at home. I hope you find God everywhere but recognize that God wants us to come to him in certain ways as well. Father, aren't you really seeing in nature the effects of God and not God himself? Yeah, it's his it's handiwork. It's kind of like looking at a house and saying, you know the carpenter. Yeah. You don't. Yeah, that's a great analogy. It's, yeah, you, know, you look at a house and you say, well, I know the carpenter. I know the, this was the guy who did it, who built it. You know, and so it's, but it, it's not going to get you a house this carpenter built until you actually call him or go to his office and say, hey, I want you to build a house just like the one you built. <laughs> You know, the same thing is, you know, God says, you know, come to me in this way. So, yeah, that's a great analogy. I, I like to look at, at the fact that Jesus went a lot of the, the amazing things he did, uh, transfiguration and everything, he went up on the mountain. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he also went to the temple. <laughs> yep, he also went to, yeah, exactly. He went to synagogue, he went to temple, he, yeah. yeah. He did the whole thing. He did well, the whole thing. And he stayed among very common people, too. Yeah. Yes. And part yeah. of the strength of, oh, go ahead. All of a sudden, something will happen, and that you don't know what way to turn or whatever, and all of a sudden, it all comes. It works out. You know, you have somebody, somebody helped you. I mean, it just. Exactly. Right. And part of the strength of going to church is the other people that are there, too. Yeah. And, uh, that's Absolutely. That's how I look at it. If God would have created one human, maybe there, that's all they would have needed was the mountaintop. Mm -hmm. The fact that humans are in our lives and we're drawn to be with other humans. Exactly. means that we need to gather. Yeah, we're, we're absolutely. You know, even, even those of us who are introverted, we are still drawn to be around people. So we are tribal, 
Well, yeah, tribal, but we're, you know, we're, we're communal. Communal is a better way to put it. Tri tribal, unfortunately, has a bit different context. Leave your spears at home. So, any other questions or? Father, one of my poems uh, says, Good day, my Lord, how shall I find you? Your wonders are all around me. Mm -hmm. It's in your sheep that I see your heart. There you go. It's in your sheep that I see, my, see your heart. That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to close, unless there are any other questions. All right, well, let's, let's say a prayer to close then. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.